My Autobiography, A Memoir, by Justy Jones, as read by Justy Jones. Chapter 1. My Grandparents. My paternal grandfather, Delarius Ulysses Gorbrin Heimberg, was born in 1887, the son of a sharecropper and a cropper who was not so good at sharing. His mother died during childbirth, but luckily not her baby's childbirth. The other child would die decades later, allowing her to raise Delarius well into adulthood. It was around the time of his adulthood that Delarius met his wife, Ava Nelne, a semi-professional seamstress with whom he would have a son. They named their son Eisenhower, after the ship, and vice versa. Eisen, as they would call him when they were tired and couldn't get through his whole name, would become my father at a later date. My maternal grandfather, Broderick Leonard Foltz, came to the country with nothing but the clothes on his back. He was immediately arrested for indecent exposure and sentenced to 20 years in the tungsten mines. That is where he met the love of his life. Tungsten. He also met his wife, Geraldine Cobes. Geraldine Cobes was a tungsten heiress in the tradition of the great hard steel gray metal mining heiresses. Full of grace, sinewy arms, parallelogram lean, Mr. T necklaces who smelled of roses and gasoline, cavorted with socialites, socialized with cavorters, with a laugh like the shaking of boggle letter cubes. One can imagine Geraldine's aristocratic parents' horror when she became romantically involved with a common tonguey, as they called them back then. It was especially humiliating that Broderick could barely speak English, having emigrated from a country where the native language consisted of communicating by rapid weight loss and gain. He had many misunderstandings with models and amateur wrestlers, but also many good times. My grandma Geraldine, or Nanu, as I would later call her, was a wise, cheeky woman with a twinkle in her eye, later removed by surgery, allowing her to see for the very first time. Broderick asked Geraldine's father for his blessing to marry his daughter, gaining 40 pounds, losing 30, and then regaining 18. Her father misinterpreted this as a threat, and Broderick and Geraldine were forced to elope. Moving to St. Louis, as Geraldine had been obsessed with all things arches, since she was a little girl. He worked odd jobs like cabbage stacker, hobbit pimp, and the guy who sticks his fist in chimneys, while she tended to the house, cultivated a garden, and whittled driftwood into the likeness of Eli Whitney. They had a daughter, Mishko, Mish for short, Mishkaline for long, who would become my mother at a later date. Tragedy struck when my mother was just two years old. Broderick died in the shower, unable to circumvent the bottle label's lather-rinse-repeat paradox perpetually shampooing himself to death. The coroner said he had never seen a corpse with such radiant hair other than his own. Chapter 2. My Parents. The Children of My Grandparents. The tale of my parents' meeting is the stuff of legend. There are love stories, and then there are love stories, although this was later disproven in a study conducted by the New England Journal of Medicine. My father spent his youth reading anything he could find, but all he could find was pornography. Meanwhile, as a teenager, my mother ran away with the circus. She then ran away from the circus after being repeatedly harassed by a perverted clown named Murray, who twisted balloon animals into obscene shapes while gyrating spastically, a dead look in his eyes looming ominously over a lascivious overbite. 
Ashmishko, only thirteen, ran away, she bumped into my father, who was carrying two coffees in a classic meat cute. After apologizing, but not profusely, she asked why he was carrying two coffees. He smiled and replied, I'm not carrying two coffees. You just made me spill them, you dumb dumb. This sort of banter would be the hallmark of their relationship and professional lives. They hit the vaudeville circuit known as Eisenmisch, which was voted worst portmanteau 1932. Nonetheless, their act was an immediate sensation. A typical show consisted of song, dance, comedy sketches, and twisting balloon animals into obscene shapes while gyrating spastically, a dead look in their eyes looming ominously over lascivious overbites. Murray would later sue, but they settled out of court, with Murray securing patents for a dozen perverted facial expressions, six indecent pelvic thrusts, and four gropes. The temptations of the vaudeville circuit are well documented at the National Archives. Slapstick orgies, illegal lynx fights, illicit opium dens, in that order. An opium addiction caused Eisenhower's erection turgidity to suffer, and my parents had trouble conceiving. This was further complicated as Eisenhower could only become aroused if witnessed by a Major League Baseball umpire. On top of this, Mishko would tilt and go dim and still like a pinball machine if she moved too much during sex. They managed to overcome these obstacles and Mishko conceived. When the baby arrived, the doctor told them it was stillborn. He then clarified the baby was still born, which was their preference. They christened this baby boy Seth, smashing a bottle of champagne across his face, the first of many alcohol-fueled beatings. Three years later, they would have me. Their strategy was for Eisenhower to insert his penis into Mishko's vagina, and then, full circle, I would come out of that same vagina. It worked, and the vaudeville audiences loved it. Chapter 3 my early years. My childhood was a blur, having inherited my grandmother's eye-twinkle disability. It was also violent, volatile, and full of abusive but witty parental repartee. My father, who could be loving one minute and angry for the rest of them, was a terror. He became vehemently unruly at the sight of toast. He was a devastating purple nurpler. He could put his fist through a chimney, but not in the good way like his father did. I recall one time playing a game of rock, paper, scissors with my father. We were playing to determine whether he should beat me with a rock, paper, or scissors. When his paper beat my rock, I was relieved, until he paper cut the areas between my toes, the sides of my mouth, and my tongue, so in his words, I wouldn't snitch like a little punk ass. He then crushed my toes with the rock anyway, and used the scissors to give me an unflattering haircut. His drug addiction worsened. He snorted mounds of cocaine daily until his septum collapsed and his nose became so malformed by the drug use it would change shape based on the position in which he slept the night before. Years later, he was diagnosed by a psychiatrist as a grade-A asshole. My mother, meanwhile, suffered from her own afflictions. At the time, it was called melancholia. Her exact diagnosis, however, was tough to pin down. General melancholia, seasonal affective melancholia, Manic melancholia? Melancholia otherwise unspecified? Eventually her barber gave up and removed the leeches. Not surprisingly, all the abuse and neglect had deleterious effects on my childhood development. At age two, my first word was ball, but it was also my second through twentieth thousandth word. I just kept saying it over and over, annoying everyone. 
At age five, I developed a condition that caused me to occasionally replace random words with the nonsense word Klelpers, a speech impediment that remains with me to this Klelpers. When I was six years old, tragedy struck again when my mother died in a violent candle snuffer accident, the details of which are too sordid to relay, according to my lawyer. With the death of my mom, I acted out. I soon developed a codependent relationship with a Yeti. I was painfully envious of elk. I became obsessed with anything molten, typical rebellion stuff. I daydreamed often, but became frustrated with all the Ving Rames cameos, so I stuck to night dreaming. And wouldn't you know it? Ving showed up there, too. We eventually became friends, both in dreams and real life. It turned out he was also dreaming about me. We grew apart. The last time I ever saw him, we were flying over a red lake, fondling cantaloupe, phallic imagery everywhere. It was not a dream. It was a nightmare. Racquetball did not come easy to me. Chapter 4. The School Years. Part 1. The sun set downward. I stared at the horizon as the sky bled out crimson to a lifeless gray. I was entering kindergarten, and as my grandma Nanu told me, shit gonna get real now, son. Unfortunately, she could not enjoy the sunset as her eye twinkle had returned. She gave me a warm pat on the shoulder, defecated on the sand, covered it up with a clamshell, and was on her way. She had long gone senile and was prone to such acts. Five years old, alone, sitting by the sea next to a clam-covered turd, I thought, is this all there is? I hope so. Unfortunately, there was more. Much more.